Hello and welcome to the Glory Glory Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Quinn, and joining me again today is Matthew Nugent. How's it going, Matthew? What's the crack? How's things? It's good to be back. It's been a while. Well, things aren't great from a Man United point of view at the moment. We're on a pretty bad run, aren't we? Pretty bad run. Although, I don't, you know, I'm not saying it's because of me or anything, but the last time you had me on, we ended up battering Leeds. So I'm not saying I'm a good luck charm or anything, but hopefully now I'm back, we're getting a good run of form again. Yeah, maybe that bodes well for the, the Leicester game, but uh, we'll soon find out. Um, <laughs> in the meantime, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, analyse this uh, Everton game. Um, is a pretty poor result. Obviously, it felt like a defeat, really, and it could have been if the offside goal had been given. Um, mm-hmm. I think United played well in patches, but ultimately weren't ruthless enough. And once again, we were susceptible to the counter-attack. Uh, Everton cut through us like a knife through butter on several occasions. Um, perhaps we were fortunate in the end to come away with a draw. So mm-hmm. what was your thoughts on, on the game then? The thing with it is, is it's, a lot of people have said it a million times over, it's Rafa Benitez. He's going to come at us with a low block, and that's why we're susceptible to the counter-attack, because we're going to constantly push six, seven, eight men forward trying to break that low block, because it's the only way that you can break a low block. If you sit back and try and pass it around everyone and try and get it through that way, you're going to be there for hours, just not getting anywhere with it. Um, when you go away to Burnley, you expect the same. When you go away to Rafa Benitez at Everton now, you expect the same thing. We were always going to have that. No matter no matter what players were on, on the pitch for us, we were always going to be susceptible to a counter-attack because they were always going to play a low block. There was never... Rafa was never going to come at us with a different system than that. He was never going to come and try and outplay us. He doesn't have the players for it. And he's also not that kind of manager. Um, it was always... It, it's That's why we struggle against Burnley and, and, and Rafa Benitez's sides. Is the low block just battered us every single time over. Yeah, well... I- Aston Villa did something similar, as did Villarreal. We were so fortunate to come away from a victory against Villarreal because mm-hmm. the amount of chances they had on the counter-attack in the first half was insane. Uh, David De Gea was back to his, his best again, thankfully, in that match. Mm-hmm. But that game, it didn't really feel like celebrating that too much because it was such a dire performance. Uh, yeah. it, it was... It, it didn't. It didn't really feel like a win in, in some ways, even though Ronaldo scored that you know, dramatic late winner. Um, it was just it's a terrible performance, and um, we've played that way ever since the the, the international break w- was over, and the last time in the Newcastle game, the first half and that game was pretty tragic. Um, but eventually we managed to break them down and score a few goals. Then young boys, we know what happened there. And against West Ham, uh, we did okay. I think West Ham were lucky not to get a draw and that too. Noble missing the late penalty. Lingard had to come off the bench to, to, to get us a winner in that game. And then the, 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 other, the other game since then have been pretty, really, really poor against Villa and Aberdeen and Villarreal. And we're not really on a good run at the moment. Um, do you see us uh, getting out of this or do you think this rotten form is going to continue? Me and you have both spoke about this on, on, on Twitter as well. And I genuinely just do think it's a bad run of form. I think it's... Um, someone said it recently of like it looks bad on paper because it's in one like bulk patch but we are getting unlucky in certain aspects and there is a lot of things that are coming against us just in one bulk run and this has happened to us before and we've seen it under Ollie specifically um, you, you've seen it happen with um, I think there was a run I think it was not last season but the season before where it was like oh this looks this looks like it's the beginning of the end for Ollie here and then all of a sudden we go to City and we beat them and then we go to Spurs. No, sorry, Spurs first, then City, I think it was. And then you're all of a sudden you're going, you know what, Ollie, Ollie might have it here. And I was chatting to a Spurs fan recently and he was talking about how United and Arsenal fans are so quick to jump to conclusions. Like we have had, what, three, four bad results, which to me is a bad run of form because we haven't looked completely dire. There's still a system. The only thing I've noticed within our side, within those bad run of form is uh, defensive positioning. But we were always poor that way. Luke Shaw never was a good defensive left back. I've said this for ages, and everyone, when everyone was jumping on the Luke Shaw bandwagon of the guy being the best left back in the world, I said he's just an English Roberto Carlos, and everyone was saying the same thing. But Roberto Carlos couldn't defend. 
Roberto Carlos was an attacking fullback, a massive. He was a wing back. That's what he was. And Luke Shaw's exactly the same. Harry Maguire has to cover for Luke Shaw's def- uh, defensive positioning because it's poor. Aaron Wambasaka has a massive tendency to drift inside, which again is defensive positioning is poor. Then Varane's the only one I've seen stick to his position because Maguire j- uh, drifts left to cover for Shaw. Aaron Wambasaka drifts inside, and we're always wonky. We're lopsided in defence, and we've all we've had that for years, even before Varane was here. And I don't know if that's a coaching problem or if it's a player problem because Wambasaka and Shaw both do it. They both roam from the position, but in different ways. Shaw going forward, Wambasaka drifting central. It, it's, I don't know if it's coaching or not. I really don't. That's the thing. Uh, we, we saw more bad examples of Shaw defending for the Ivan goal. Um, mm-hmm. Fred was brushed aside again by Jamari Gray too easily for me yeah. again. Too weak for the Premier League. Then Shaw totally commits himself to the challenge, doesn't make it, and then um, Townsend is on goal, completely unmarked at the, at the at the far post, and he was just slot it into the far corner. Um, it was it, it was poor defending by Shaw again. We know he's a wonderful player going forward, but he is poor defensively, like you say. He doesn't get close enough to his man either. He doesn't prevent the cross coming in. And I don't know about I don't know about you, but if you ever played football at, at any sort of level at all, and you've done the position and when defending that Luke Shaw does on a regular basis, you'd be kicked off the team. You wouldn't be on the team sheet, but because he creates so much going forward that he just constantly gets put there. I'll be honest with you, I would rather Tellez had put more of a shift in because he needs that competition again. Brandon Williams, as much shit as that man got, and a lot of people was on his back. Brandon put a massive shift in at left back defensively uh, going forward he obviously didn't he, he didn't offer the same thing Luke Shaw does but defensively he was he was noticeably clear I'm actually a big fan of Brandon Williams as is Nigel he does the show with me but mm-hmm. uh, I come under a lot of criticism for defending Brandon Williams there's a lot of people out there who, who don't rate him and I think that's quite harsh on a, on a young player who's still learning his trade I, I, I'm not I'm not going to come out here and say he's the best left back in the league or the best right back he's not he's not by any means but he's a talented young player who has a lot of heart and a lot of growth to do. Um, his defensive positioning naturally is far better than Luke Shaw's. But going forward, he's obviously not the same player. I am a big fan of Scott McTominay. You and I both, we probably come out a, a lot, a, a, under a lot of criticism because of it. Um, but I think Scott and Brandon are very similar players. A lot of heart. They're united through and through because they've been there since they were kids. Um and they clearly need just a little bit of coaching and they could be somewhere at squad level. I think Scott is genuine captain material. I think McTominay's a great, great player. I, I think a little bit of coaching will, will, will fix that. But again, yeah. do we have the right coaches in place to do so? Maybe we'll get on to that. <laughs> yeah, um, McTominay I rate very highly. I don't think he's in the greatest form at the moment. Um, no. He's not playing terribly bad, but he's definitely not on his best. Um, just looks fatigued to me. Yeah, he just came back from injury there, and he hasn't been himself ever since he returned. So, I don't think he's fully fit. Yeah, hopefully he'll be able to, you know, get back to his best after the national break. Although he's probably going to be playing a few games for Scotland. I'm not sure that's going to. Maybe it will help, you know, uh, rather than sitting it out for another two weeks. But we'll see. Um, some positives from the game would definitely be the goal. Um. Great, great play by Fernandez and Greenwood, and good finish from Martial. Even though it it was deflected, um, I'm not a huge fan of Anthony Martial. I don't think, I don't think his heart is completely in it. Um, yeah. I think out of all the forwards, he's definitely bottom of the list in in yeah. sixth choice, if you want to call it that. Um, but I want, another thing that, that 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 was a positive was Sancho's cameo the last twenty minutes. I thought that was his best performance in the United shirt to date. What, what do you think? From what I've seen of it, I haven't seen, I didn't see the full game because of work, but he looked electric. He looked like the Sancho of Dortmund. Like he looked like he was just bouncing around players and making everyone look poor. I mean, it's an Everton side, and a lot of people could do that, but you get the point of like he was just doing things that only a very few players can do and go to a Premier League level and do it. Um, Martial, I'm also not a big fan of. Um, but the goal that he scored is a very martial type goal. Like his first one against Liverpool was like that. He needs those positions to get those goals. 
he doesn't have a great repertoire of different types of goals, which is what creates a player. Ronaldo is the prime example of that. He scores a million different types of goals. Like anywhere that he can score from, he will score it. Um, but it was it was good to see Sancho f- actually looking exciting, which is a good sign. Hopefully he can get a start in the next game and look like that for more than, what, 33 minutes or something he, he got? Yeah, it, it was, I think it might have been 2025, but what he needs to, to do is start five or six games in a row to get his form and yeah. fitness back. Um, but there was, a, there was a period there during this run of fixtures where I was thinking he's starting to get treated like Donny van der Beek. He's starting to get mm-hmm. benched a lot. He's just coming on as a sub. And I was getting very, very worried, you know, that he, he's going to end up like Donny, just being a bit of a, a bit part player who's not really in all his plans, even though all he cried for maybe a year and a half looking to sign Sancho and spent 73 million on him. Um, I want to see yeah. Sancho getting more of a chance. I I agree. But with the chances he had from before the Everton game, he looked poor. He didn't look fully there. He, he needs time to adjust. Donny, the time to adjust argument with him is, is not really there. He had the entirety pretty much of last season um, with a lot of appearance roles and he looked good. But the point that nobody talks about with Donny is that every time he got a cameo role or, or, or got played in any way, he always looked tired. And I don't know if it's because he never got a run of fixtures or whatever. It's just like, if he put the extra work in the training ground, he might get that fitness. He might get that extra start. I, I, I generally don't know. Obviously, I don't have a looking glass into the United training ground, but there's clearly something there that Ollie sees. Donny's not the man to start. Ollie's not a Jose Mourinho where he just walks into the changing room and goes, I don't like you. Uh, you're not playing. Because that's what Jose done. Ollie doesn't strike me as that type of character. He wouldn't do that to a Donny van de Beek. He would, he's not starting him for a reason. It seemed to be a relationship that's now beyond repair. Uh, the only way that Donny is going to become a regular for Man United is if Solskjaer goes before him. Uh, if really? Solskjaer stays in a job, then I think van der Beek's going to go in January. We've been hearing lots of noises coming from Donny's camp that he's looking for a way out now because he, he wants to start regularly because he's not getting in the Holland team anymore. Yeah, but, although I, I'll be honest with you, I don't think he leaves. I genuinely think he gets more of a role. Um, I said it at the, in the summer uh, before the season started that I thought he would get more uh, appearances this season, but so far it's not happening. I, I do think Ollie does have trust in him. I do think Ollie believes he's a talented player because obviously he is. The problem that is, is he's not Bruno Fernandes. He's not Paul Pogba. So if he were to leave, it's not because he's having a fallout with a manager it's because he's not good enough everyone seems to think that Donny is the second coming of Messiah in the centre of midfield but he's not he's a good player but he's not Paul Pogba or Bruno Fernandes or even the form that Jesse Lingard's on at the moment he's, he doesn't play that role and then I, I think Ali doesn't trust him at a number 6 I think he sees him as more of an 8 or a 10 and even if he does see him as more than an 8 or, eight or, eight or a 10 we're stacked for 10s like we don't we don't need him. He's there as about third or fourth choice. Yeah, I would like to see him getting a role in, in, in the centre midfield area because he's a, he's clearly a better footballer than Fred. I think everybody would agree on that one. Easily. <laughs> Not that that would be too hard. Yeah, I think I genuinely think, and I've, uh, I don't like Fred. I am Fred's biggest hater. I, Fred is one of my least favourite footballers that has ever played for United because I think he's absolutely useless. He can't do anything with the ball at his feet. But his clear ability is that he's hardworking. He'll constantly chase after the ball. I, th- I think it might have been Stephen House and called him like a B-Tech Kante or like a, a, a Wish Kante. And it's like, I get it. Because he does that Kante mold of just running after a ball constantly. But when Kante gets the ball, he can do something with it. Fred, I described him as, it's like a 12-year-old at football. Bundles of energy. But when he gets the ball, he's sort of like, ah, what do I do? And he just looks lost. Just, second, just every time he gets near a ball, his second touch is always a tackle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, we'll get on to Ronaldo now. Uh, uh, there was a lot of you new know, talk in the build up to the game because he wasn't on the team sheet. Um, he came on, didn't really have an impact, neither did Paul Pogba. Like we talked about, Sancho was the best of the substitutes. Um, Ronaldo then stormed off at the end, throwing a strop as he quite often does when things don't go his way. So, what, what did he make of all that? I, I don't look into it too much. It's Ronaldo. We, as you said, you know what he's like. He, he does this. He's an elite, one of the best of all time. Everyone at that level. You if, Say if he wasn't angry and he come off just sort of like, oh, sure, it is what it is. 
everyone would be raging. But because it's United and because it's Ronaldo, it's under the microscope. Everyone's going to look massively into it, being like, oh, he hates Ali. Oh, he hates the struggle. It's just Ronaldo. He's annoyed at his own performance. He's raging they didn't get the win. It's an elite mentality of, we didn't get what I wanted and we need to do better. It's not a dig at anyone specifically. He's just annoyed that he didn't get the win. That's how I look at it personally. I think it's just because it's us under the microscope, which is the same as everything of anyone. Same with the Donny spitting out the chewing gum. Again, I don't think it was really anything, but everyone made a huge deal out of it. Yeah, my personal belief is that he was unhappy with the result more than anything. And obviously, the media was spinning that he was unhappy that he didn't start the game. But I don't think that's the case. I think it was obviously discussed between him and the manager before the match that he wasn't going to start due to him playing uh, two games that week already. And he's 36 years old, you know, yeah. There needs to be games where he's pulled out of, you know, for his own good. You know, I think he might have been annoyed because everyone found out he's got chin guards with his own face on it. I think that's why he was annoyed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, there was some very, very disappointing aspects of the game. Um, there wasn't many great performances on the day. Um, uh, speaking of Ronaldo, something else is going to my head there. Um, when he was coming on, he was getting instructions from Kieran McKenna. Kieran McKenna was using his notebook and you know, mm-hmm. giving instructions to Ronaldo. And Ronaldo was clearly not listening to what he was saying. And Kieran McKenna actually started to realize this and kind of just pulled away. And at that moment, I felt really sorry for Kieran McKenna that people call him like a, a kindergarten coach. And Ronaldo's like a five time Ballon d'Or winner. And in that yeah. moment, you could see that. <laughs> Do you know what it is, though? I, I think it is, it's less of Kieran McKenna's underqualified and more Ronaldo is Ronaldo. And Ronaldo's ego is going to massively be like, you're a 34, 35-year-old coach. I'm older than you. Uh, what are you doing? I have five Ballon d'Ors. You're just coaching. Like, it's Ronaldo's ego. You know what he's going to be like. He's not going to listen to somebody he doesn't know who it is. He respects Ollie. So I think if it was Ollie giving the instructions, it'd go right far enough. I've played under you at, at youth level because he was coached at the at the reserves at United by Ollie. He's played alongside Ollie. He'll have that respect. I don't think he has that respect for somebody like Kieran McKenna. As harsh as that sounds, and it's not a dig at Kieran McKenna in the slightest because I actually really like Kieran McKenna. Um, but you got to think into the head of Ronaldo and where his ego is going to be at. Even Michael Carrick might have been able to deliver the instructions better to Ronaldo because, again, it would have been you're a United legend. You've been at the club for long enough. I'll listen to you. But I just I just don't think Ronaldo would have the respect for somebody like Kieran McKenna. Yeah, Solskjaer and Carrick are, are, are former teammates of Ronaldo, so he also respect mm. their opinion. Um, and yeah. They won a lot together, but Kieran McKenna is a complete nobody in, in, in Ronaldo's eyes. Yeah. And you can understand that, but I couldn't help but feel sorry for him uh, just, just watching it on TV. Um, okay, well, come on to the, the player ratings now. Um, it's... It's hard doing this after a really poor result and, and an average performance, but we'll do it anyway. Um, De Gea, uh, solid when called upon, didn't have as much to do on, on this occasion, so I'll give him a 7 out of 10. Uh, I thought the defence played reasonably well for 70 minutes and then just kind of fell apart in the last 20. Um, Wamasaka, I think, you know, his usual, you know, defensively pretty solid. Um, give him a 7. Varane, easy. Always at least a 7. Varane, for me. Um, he's been very impressive since he came in. Um, Lindelof, I give him a, I give him a six for his performance on the day. Um, Shaw, um, um, he was clearly at fault, partly at fault for the for the goal. Um, as like I said earlier, he com- totally committed himself to the tackle and, and missed the ball. Uh, so I'd have to give him five. Um, McTominay, another pretty average performance from him. I expect better from him. Um, normally you notice him normally you notice him putting in tackles putting himself about you know uh, receiving the ball and playing it forward but we haven't seen that much in the last three games it could be a fitness issue like you mentioned so I would I'd give him uh, an average six um, Fred uh, again a disaster for the goal just been easily brushed aside by Damari Gray uh, it's becoming far, a farce now. He, he just, shouldn't just say shouldn't. that sentence again. Say the phrase brushed too easily passed by Damari Gray. If you'd have said like somebody good, I'd have been like, fair enough. But it's Damari Gray. Like, 
it's not an elite player. That's the point that you realise Fred's probably not good enough. Yeah, I mean, Gray is not known for his upper body strength, so it was no. it was pretty embarrassing. Um, so yeah, felt like a twelve year old girl. He really is. I know it's it's <laughs> it's disgraceful. Uh, he shouldn't be anywhere near the United team, but all he continues to be loyal to him. Uh, I give him a four, and that's being generous. Genuinely, um, there's lads in the under 15s that are bigger than Fred. <laughs> uh, for uh, Pogba, uh, he was taken off. It wasn't wasn't one of his better days. Um, the fact that we're susceptible to the counter attack is partly down to Pogba's lack of work off the ball, and that's definitely an issue. As tall as the player he is going forward, he, he doesn't he doesn't like doing the dirty work, and that that causes a problem. Uh, so I'd give Pogba a four for his performance. Uh, Bruno Fernandez, like he's always lively, he's always creating chances, always making things happen, always even chasing back in his own half and you know taking the ball off people and stopping counterattacks he's uh, he's an amazing player and he's very rarely ever lower than a seven uh i would given his involvement in the goal um which was brilliant um i'd have to give him maybe an eight too high in in, in a game where we didn't play well I'd give him a 7.5 yeah um coming on to the forwards now um mason greenwood uh, he was Brilliant uh, for the for the goal, Martial's goal as well, but um, not the not the greatest performance by him. He he was he done he done all right. He has been doing okay without scoring goals. I don't think he scored a goal since August, but uh, I, I really love his, his crossing ability from the right wing with his, with his left foot. The way he whips it in, um, we should be getting more goals from that, and I, I would like to see him do it more often, um. There has been a slight issue if I'm not tracking back. Like the Villarreal game was very noticeable that Wambasaka was being left exposed, or not, not Wambasaka. I wish he was playing that game. The Dallo, the, the worst right back display in, in, in I've seen in my lifetime by a United player at Old Trafford. Diallo was absolutely horrendous against Villarreal. Neville had some stinkers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, I can't remember any specific bad ones from Gary Neville off the top of my head, but. That, that Dallow display is the worst I've seen in a long, long time. Um, but he wasn't helped by the fact that Greenwood was not tracking back much. Um, Greenwood never did, though. And that's that's the problem with playing Greenwood and Ronaldo, though. That's the issue of the two of them together, is it's two luxury forwards. And Paul Pogba, it's three luxury players who don't plan on doing any of the dirty work and let the other lads do that. And that's why Fred and McTominay get played, is for the cover for their deficiencies of not wanting to work. As I've known, like people are a lot stronger than Fred, but he does work hard and he, he digs deep. Ronaldo, Greenwood, and Pogba aren't doing that. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely get onto that later in the show. Um, yeah, so Greenwood, I'll give him a six. Um, Annie Martial, again, I oh, know he, he scored obviously, so we'll have to give him a decent score. But um, it didn't that doesn't didn't really impress me. He, he's playing more on the left, and that suits him. If he's going to play at all, it has to be on the left. He's not a centre forward. Uh, but overall, it, it, it wasn't a standout performance, so I, I would give him a six as well, uh, just purely on the fact that he scored. Uh, Solskjaer, um, his team selection obviously didn't work. Um, the substitutions, Pogba and Ronaldo, didn't have much of an impact. Sancho did, in my opinion. Solskjaer, I would give him, I'd give him a five for, for his performance on the day. I'd give him a lot worse. Um, but on this occasion, I'll, I'll just give him five. Um, so... Let's come on to what Gary Neville has been talk, was talking about on his podcast the other day. He says that United um, have too many superstars on the pitch, too many luxury players who are not willing to work. Um, and Solskjaer needs to think about picking the right team in, instead of uh, you know the, the best players. He, he, he went back to 2008 when he played. He said United had... Like Stephen Park, Darren Fletcher, and Owen Hargreaves to complement the superstars that had up front: Rooney, Ronaldo, Berbatov, and Tevez. United don't have enough of that at the minute. Like Fred is supposed to be one of those players, but he's just obviously you know he's not at that level. McTominay as well, but United need more. Um, yeah. He, well, I'm going to ask you uh, once I pick mine. I'm going to pick my best team, best United team out of the squad we've got that would that would work. You know. A more balanced all-round team, rather than putting in all the Galacticos. I don't think that's yeah. a good idea anymore. I think we need to have a more balanced team. So, 
my idea for that would be Gay and go Wambasaka, Varan, Maguire, and Shaw. That that's very easy. Now here's where it gets controversial because obviously I'm going to leave out a few stars. It's hard not to with the amount of talent we've got. Mm-hmm. So McTominay plays, obviously, in midfield. Um, there's going to be a vice strange formation I'm going to come up with here. It's going to be like a four-one, two-two-one, something like that. <laughs> Well, <laughs> well, hear me out. Um, so ahead of McTominay, I would start Lingard and, and Bruno. Lingard is having a great impact from the bench uh, uh, in the last five or six games. And I think he's been unlucky not to start. Uh, he's a workhorse, uh, and that's that's what we need. Um, and, and Bruno obviously has to play in, in, in the tag of midfield. That's so obvious. He, he cannot be left out. Yeah, the Bruno one wasn't the one that surprised me. It was Lingard and then it really yeah. caught me off guard. I never would have believed that I would be saying this like three <laughs> months ago. But based, I have to give credit where it's due, based on what I've seen so far from Lingard this season, he's very, very unlucky not to be playing. And I can't I can't argue against it. That's the worst thing. It just really caught me off guard. And I was just like, well, oh, a bit weird. And then I was like, how can I argue? Like, there's nothing to be like, yeah, I literally have nothing bad I can say about that. Yeah, we, we have to go on what we see. We have to be fair to the players, even if we're, we, ha- we weren't fans of them before. We, we have to be give credit where it's due. Um, yeah, so the forward line for me would be, I know I don't like leaving out Greenwood. I'm a huge fan of Greenwood, but the, the, the lack of work rate is an issue, and he's going to have to improve on that if he, if he wants to start. Um, Sancho, again, the team for me, he's the, the big money signing. I expect him to come good. And uh, Ronaldo, obviously, and Cavani. Um, the way I see it is, Ronaldo would be the number nine. Cavani would play just off him. Cavani, you know, he's a workhorse. He chases down the the, the centre backs and the full backs. He wins the ball back. Oh, I him. Yeah, I think that's why everybody loves him. And Santo obviously provides the youth. Uh, you know, in the front line, you know, the the, the tricky young winger who who get the crosses in. He beat people. He score goals with his left foot and his right foot. So that would be May 11 that I would pick. You know, that would be the, a more balanced team than what Ollie's currently picking at the moment. Um, obviously, people, lots of people will not agree with me on this. So I don't think your team will be the same either. So I'm going to ask you what no. your ideal 11 would be. <laughs> not even close, if I'm honest with you. So I kind of have two ideas in my head. I have one in my head that I'm like, I would love to see, but it's never going to happen. I just like the idea of it. Um, and then I have one that's more of a realistic approach that I could see us actually trying with. It's kind of working with Ollie's system. So I'll go with a ridiculous one and get it out of the way early. Um, I'd like us to play a sort of three or five at the back. We've done it before under Ollie. I think we played against, was it City or Chelsea and beat them? Maybe both uh, under the three back. Um, yeah, I'd like to see De Gea in that. Obviously, that one can stick for both sides. That's not going to change at all. I'd like to see the three central defenders in, in the sort of the five back. Um, being Maguire on the left, Varane in the middle, um, and Aaron Wambasaka on the right-hand side, almost drifting sort of between right-back and centre-half, just covering that right-hand side. He drifts central anyway. He pretty much plays as a right centre-back. Um, and then Luke Shaw at left wing-back, obviously. Um, ideally, I would like to see how Ethan Laird would do it right wing-back. I'd like to see him give it a chance. Obviously, he's on loan at Swansea, so it's not going to happen. So you'd have to maybe play Delow. Um, But again, I think Wambasaka is good defensively at right back. The low's better going forward. The two of them being there together, I think, complement each other. Um, two central midfield positions being um, Paul Pogba and McTominay. Um, one, obviously, pushing the ball forward, McTominay pushing the ball back. Um, and then the front three, almost playing as two shadow strikers. One of them can be in a bit more sort of inside winger um, and then a striker. And I would like it to be Marcus Rashford, Bruno Fernandes, and then the striker again, you have enough defensive cover, so you really could maybe go Ronaldo. But as you say, Cavani just is that cult hero at the moment. His is tracking back, and especially in this, whether we're missing the sort of midfielder and that central role. Um, but I think Bruno maybe drops back. I would like to see Sancho in there, but I, I think Bruno Fernandez is pretty much playing as a shadow striker now. And if you drop him back in the midfield, um, in in that formation, it's just not going to work. Um, that would be my ideal one just to see it, it sounds a lot more interesting it covers for our deficiencies in defence 
and um, with the fact that Shaw is pretty poor with his positioning, so that it means he's further up the pitch, so it means you're getting caught less with that. Maguire's already drifting left because you have the cover then rather than having to worry about it. Um, Aaron Wamasaka drifts inside naturally. Why not play him slightly further inside with the cover of Varane? Um, then you have a right wing back, which then covers for Wamasaka's uh, deficiencies going forward. I, I think that that covers a lot of our defensive problems. What my more likely 11 would be is a standard 4-3-3 slash 4-2-3-1. Um, De Gea in net, Wamasaka at right back, Varane and Maguire in centre half. Um, Luke Shaw at left back. That's again the same as yours. Um, but when you break in the midfield, I think ideally it would be Matic and Pogba um, because we've seen it work before. The problem is Matic can't go more than one game in a 10-day period. The man just doesn't have the legs when he's 175. Um, with then Bruno playing as the third midfield option. Again, not really a midfield option at all. It's Bruno. He's pretty much a false nine slash shadow striker at this point. Um, on the right wing, I'd like to see Sancho. On the left wing, I'd like to see Rashford. Um, and then up front, I'd really like Mason. Um, if we're going to go for that, I think. I think Ronaldo or him would be better off for that one because you have the creators and the track back with um, with Rashford then on the left-hand side to cover again with Luke Shaw. So you have both of them down there. And again, it creates that double um, push down the left, which then overloads the defense. So it means if they do play a low block, you have somebody to run into that space. Um, whilst on right side, you're not going to have that with Wambasaka. Um, that's the thing with the low block that keeps catching us. If you can overload it, you are going to break it down eventually. I think with Rashford coming back, we're going to see a lot more of that. Sancho has the tendency to drift inside, which it means if Rashford comes back, he's going to stay wide, which means we overload the left-hand side, which means everyone drifts across, which means more chances for Sancho. Yeah, very, very interesting. Um, just with regard to your, your ideal team that you need first, the mm-hmm. one player I wouldn't have in the team is Dallow. I just don't don't add real him at all. I'd rather not. As I said, I'd rather be Ethan Laird, but he's out on loan. Um so it is what it is. Even Brandon Williams, I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't mind. Or even, nah, Tell is maybe not the right wing back. Probably couldn't, nah, probably wouldn't be able to fit over there. But Ethan Lerb would be the ideal option. He looks exciting on loan at Dons last season and he looks exciting this year at Swansea. I think Trippier could have filled that role had he been signed yeah. in the summer, like all he wanted, but that obviously didn't materialise. Didn't want to make the point of it in case I started crying at the lack of signings, the lack of signings, <laughs> the lack of signings that we needed rather than Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, that would that, and in fairness, and we're never going to say no to Ronaldo, but in fairness, yeah. it wasn't needed at all. We needed yeah. a, a CDM or, or a, a right back. On the topic of a CDM, I didn't plan on actually talking about this, to be honest with you. I wouldn't even want to bring it up. What's your thoughts on going over to Barcelona and going, I know your club's in a little bit of turmoil at the moment and you're having a little bit of a problem. And there's a Dutch guy there that I really like the look of under the name of Frankie de Jong. Do you mind if I take him? Can we have him, please? Because he would fill a massive hole in our field, like in the middle of the centre of midfield. Because Frankie de Jong's an unbelievable number six slash number eight. He can play centre half. Um, I think he's a massive upgrade on anyone that we have in there. And I think with the turmoil of Barca, it would be an easy pickup or easier pickup than most. Well, it is definitely an option. Um, that'll, that'll ultimately come down to Solskjaer, Elin and, and, and Fletcher and whoever else is involved in the recruitment process. Mm-hmm. Um, he hasn't been a name that, that has been mentioned, and unless they, they've they've scattered him get under the radar, um, I I certainly wouldn't mind it. Uh, I wouldn't complain if he came in. Uh, yeah. Uh, hopefully, you know, we, we are looking at more left field options rather than constantly looking in the Premier League market. Um, Paul Pogba still has not signed a new contract. He's been offered four hundred grand a week, and apparently the deadline now is Christmas. And he will not commit himself. Now, do you see if he does leave uh, on a free transfer in the summer? I don't think we should sign a like for like replacement. No. We should sign a more, you know, defensive midfielder yeah. or a box to box player. Somewhere, I know you're not the greatest fan of him, but I am. Uh, Dakin Rice, he's had an electric start this season for West Ham. He's, he's adding goals to his game. And yeah. I think if you were. I'm not saying Declan Rice is anywhere near as talented as Paul Pogba. Of course he's not. But I think if he directly replaced him in the squad, it would give us more balance in the middle of the park. I agree it would give us more balance. I definitely will agree on that. I do think that there's better players to get than Declan Rice, especially for less money. 
that you go to West Ham and you go, can I have that guy that's uh, doing everything for you? Do you mind if we take him, please? And they're going to go 80 million minimum, with, like, without a doubt. And if we know anything from going into a Premier League club after an English player in recent market and going, hi, yeah, can we have your star man there, please? Uh, they will go pay us big bucks and we will try and haggle and it will not work. We've learned this from Harry Maguire. And then the problem with that is, is then Harry Maguire, who if you'd have signed for 40 million, would have been, that's a bargain transfer that. But then you're having to up that to say 80 million for Declan Rice. Then that price tag hangs over that man's head. And then it's a, if he has one bad pass, one bad display, one bad moment, it's a mm, shun him in the media, have him shut down, have him reduced. And then that completely kills the player's confidence. And it means it's another wasted talent. If you go to somebody and get him for decent money, nobody's going to complain. If you go to Wolves and go, hey, I can have Ruben Neves and they go 40 million and you spend 40 million on him, you go, it's not a bad we deal. Worst comes to worst, you sell him on in two years' time for 30. It's not a big loss, but you go and buy Declan Rice for 80, 90 million. That's always, always going to be a media display right there more than anything. Well, next summer, whoever we sign, whether it be Rice, Nindidi, um, Frankie De Jong, it has to be a priority. The first sign in next summer or January it has to be a central defensive midfielder, 100%. Yeah. We, can't, we can't focus on signing Galacticos anymore. We need no. to get more of a solid base in our team. You know, We need to get the spine, right? Our spine, Fred McTominay is just not a good enough spine. And obviously, we have Varane as a huge improvement at the back. Yep. Still, teams are finding it so easy to cut through the middle of us, and we need to sort that problem out. It, the most ideal sign of all would be N'Golo Kante, but let's be that's yeah. not going to happen. <laughs> never going to happen. As much as I'd love it to happen, it's just never. And he's, what, 29, he's 30, something like that now? Um, he's only got a couple of years left in him at that level. There's only so much energy he can have um, to do the role that he plays. It's, it's not going to happen forever. Okay, another topic that I want to talk about is the recent speculation about Solskjaer's future. I mean, it's uh, it's a big divide in the fan base now between people who want to give him more time and people who are just fed up now, who seen who see our form just spiralling. Mm-hmm. And the, the, there's a lot of doubts now as to why Solskjaer can can win anything this season. We're already out of the, the League Cup. Um, some people maybe don't care about that. Um, we're touch and go whether we're going to get out of this Champions League group. We lost against Young Boys with a pretty woeful performance against Villarreal and got away with it. Um, we've lost to Aston Villa. We've drawn with Everton. We've drawn with Southampton. And we've got a run with 10 games coming up. It's very, very difficult. We're playing all the top teams in the league. Double header against Atalanta. We've got Villarreal away. Yeah. It's going to make or break, Ollie. Um, what are you, what are you, first of all, we'll come on to other managers in a minute, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, I know some people maybe don't want to talk about this, but it is now becoming a, a conversation. No, one hundred percent needs to be talked about. It's it's a it's a topic that's in the media everywhere. It's you can't go on Twitter without seeing Ollie out or Ollie in or whatever. Um, one hundred percent. I mean, you slightly disagree on this. Um, I'm very much Ollie in. I don't think he's done anything to prove that he is completely useless. I don't think he's done anything to prove that he's not the man for the job. Massively. Um, everyone have have a bad run of form, and I think he's only had two or three really. Um, he has one last year, and he had one the year before. And one bad run of form per year is not that bad a record or bad a run. Um, See, so, oh, oh, uh, it's up to you to prove me wrong there, and I'm I'm happy to to listen. All these bad runs tend to be not just bad, but really, really awful. I mean, after his initial spell at the club where he, he won all those games in a row and he beat, put PSG out of the Champions League, after that PSG game, right to the end of the season, it was woeful. It really was. Yeah. We barely even won a match. Then he had a pretty... Like six draws or something. It's weird. Yeah, and there was a really poor start to the, the 2019-20 season as well. Um, it didn't didn't get about two wins in seven in the first seven games. Three one off the Palace in the opening day, wasn't it? Oh, that's the season after. Um, the season after. Um, yeah, there was a two one loss to Palace that season. Yeah, that's what it was. And uh, I think Daniel James scored in that match. But remember him? 
Sulcer was was coming under pressure, and then he got that uh, six points against Spurs and Man City, like you mentioned earlier. Then it kind of spiraled again, and there was that there was that uh, match where he lost two 0 at home to Burnley, and it was starting to look like the end at that point. But then he was rescued by the signing of Bruno Fernandez. Um, Fernandez started like a house in fire. Lockdown came soon after that. Then we we came back again in in June twenty twenty. We we finished our season pretty pretty well, but then we ran out of steam in the last few games, and we just got over the line in, in terms of the top four, beating Leicester on the final day of the season. Um, then we started woefully again in the, the twenty twenty one season. We lost three one the Palace in the opening day. I think Van der Beek scored in that game. Strangely enough, um, there was again there was about two wins in the first seven games. Um. Obviously, last season there was there was a lot of peaks and troughs, and uh, yeah, it sort of there was a, a middle part there. We, we did really really well. We won we won we won a, we won a beaten run away from home. I think we 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 still kept that, haven't we? Yeah. Um, but there was draws in there in games where you should have won. Um, there was defeats to Sheffield United. Um, there was a poor draw to West Brom, I think. Um, there was poor results like that, but then we beat Man City out of nowhere, nobody seen it coming, and we beat Spurs away from home. Uh, the McTominay goal against City, wasn't it? It was like forty yards out. Was that uh, game, wasn't it? That was, was a that season, season before. Season before, I think, yeah, uh, yeah. We was Luke Shaw scored at the I had no last season. Yes. Yeah, and then uh, Cavani scored against uh, Spurs, and he should have had two in that game. It was a it was a goal ruled out when McTominay's fingers brushed Son on the nose and somehow VAR managed to, to rule that one out. It was a disgrace. But again, we kind of ran out of steam towards the end of last season and nothing typified that more than the, the Europa League final. We were pretty poor on the night and we lost on penalties despite having a far superior team to Villarreal. And now, after starting the season so well with that 5-1 win against Leeds, we've been... We've just fell off a cliff again. Um, and he's no excuses now, Solskjaer. He has a, f- a fantastic squad. Yes, we have a hole in the centre of the midfield, but name me a squad that doesn't have a hole in it. You said he have a very, very obvious one as well, and that's a striker. A very Harry Kane-sized hole there uh, at the top of their team. Every team does not have a perfect I 11. I don't know if City do have a hole on their side. Everyone talks about this. The City needs a number nine. City needs a number nine since Sergio Aguero was gone. City haven't played a number nine for like two years. City play a very similar system to when Pep was at Barca, when Messi was playing as a false nine. They never had an out-and-out striker. They haven't done for like two years. So I don't know if Harry Kane would have went to City and been the answer. I think Jack Grealish was a better answer for City because they use a lot of wide talent um, more than they do central strikers. I think um, Ferran Torres is actually a pretty good option in the false nine role for them. Um, rather than somebody like a hurricane. That's a ridiculous statement to make. Ferran Torres is better than Hurricane, I just said. Um, just in that role specifically. I'm not saying Ferran Torres is better than Hurricane. Yes, we know Guardiola just loves the idea of a team of midfielders, but mm. I think most fans would acknowledge that he's wrong. Um, we've seen another example of it at Anfield where they dominated the first half but didn't put the ball in the back of the net. Uh, it should have been out of sight, and the lack of number nine was definitely a, a factor in that. But not, it's not the Man City podcast. Well, <laughs> get back to you. <laughs> um, yeah, it's another massive dip in form for Solskjaer. He's no excuses now because he's got a, a team of forwards there that any any manager would dream of having. He needs to be doing better with the resources that he's got, and I'm just worried now that it's that it's not going to happen for him. He hasn't won a trophy in nearly three years in charge. And there's nothing happening this season that gives me any belief that he's that's going to change. I mean, he, he could have been sacked after the, the Burnley game in January 2020. Uh, Fernandez rescued him. He could have been sacked after the Europa League final if we had ruthless owners like Abramovich. And right now, I don't think he's any in danger of being sacked. We've seen that they're given Carrick, McKenna and feeling new contracts. That's obviously another sign of the belief that the board has in in Oli. Did not know Phelan got a new contract? I knew about McKenna and Carrick. I didn't know about Phelan getting a new one. Yeah, the 2024. So mm-hmm. clearly a lot more has to go wrong. It'd have to get worse before Oli would be relieved of his duties. Um, but it is definitely a debate now. Um, 
you, you, you explain to me more in depth why you want Ollie to stay and then we'll, we'll come on to you know, other options. I, I, I just don't think there's any sort of massive, massive sign that he is not the answer. I, I, I'm, I'm not the biggest Ollie fan in the world. I'm also not the biggest Ollie hater in the world. I think the unbeaten run that we have away from home is it's the greatest the Premier League's ever seen uh, away from home run. That's, again, nobody's talking about it because it doesn't support the agenda of Ollie out. Even the media are massively to push the, oh, look, Ollie and Frank Lampard are pretty much the same person role. But it, again, it's completely nothing to the same thing. Ollie is is still building his his squad that he wants. Um, and obviously our front line is absolutely unbelievable, as you said. And everyone is, it's, it's clear to see, like we have incredibly talented footballers, but we don't have a squad. Um, Frank Lampard went out in one summer and bought like five players in five, like four different positions or three different positions to deck out a squad that he wanted. So the 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 narrative that they push that this is pretty much the same thing is completely different. Um, we're not in the position that Arsenal are currently sitting in with Arteta, where they're sitting mid-table previously in relegation, um, but everyone's getting on as if we are. Um, we're still not playing that bad this season. We're getting done in by a low block. But we're waiting on Rashford coming back. Rashford's a man that is a huge part of our squad, but nobody talks about Everyone says about how Rashford's just an average player. Rashford's really good at breaking down that low block. He creates tricky positions and moves players out of space to create space for Luke Shaw to overlap or Bruno Fernandes to drift inside or Ronaldo to get in the box or, or Cavani to get in the box. He will do that. Um so we are missing a very vital player. Our, our defense is still taking shape because Varane's still trying to figure out solidity. Um, he, he, he's not fully ready for it. He, he's still warming up the system. I'm not a, a massive like coaching guy for Ollie. I think Ollie's a great man manager. I think tactically he doesn't have a lot of um, uh, chains to work with, like a Pep Guardiola or, or Jose Mourinho. Um, I, I think he's great at getting the best out of the players that he does have. The problem with it is, is we clearly have, not clearly, but there's a noticeable defensive coaching problem because of the positional stuff that I said about earlier. Um, but that's not that's not on Ollie. Ollie is not a massive coach. That's why he's got like guys like Kieran McKenna and Mike Phelan. That's why I'm confused as to why Mike Phelan and all these guys are getting new contracts. Um, I don't think Ollie's the problem. Hey, you mentioned there Frank Lampard um, the comparisons with Ollie. Look what happened when Frank Lampard was sacked and replaced with a world-class coach. Yeah, Chelsea won the Champions League and the European Super Cup, and they looked like title challengers this season. We don't. That is right, but that's a one-time example. How many times has that happened? Look at Real Madrid with uh, when they sacked Zidane the first time, and they brought in who did they bring in? Uh, what do you call him? The, the Spain manager, the Spain, the Spanish guy. They brought him in as if he was going to be God's gift to Real Madrid, but he was just poor. And they ended up having to bring Zidane back. It's it's a one-time example. PSG with uh, Thomas Tuchel. He was underperforming. They sacked him, brought in Mauricio Pochettino. He done worse. There's a lot of examples of, of the coach getting sacked when the team's underperforming and then bringing in a manager and it getting worse just because Chelsea done it with Frank Lampard and it just so happened to work um, with Thomas Tuchel does not mean that that's what's going to happen with us. There's no guarantee that we sack Ollie, bring in Zidane, and all of a sudden we're winning three Champions Leagues back to back. No, I don't I don't think any manager is just going to walk in and win his trophies automatically. Every manager is a gamble. But yeah. um, I do think there are better options out there than Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer. And I think you know, many, many people would agree. He was, let's face it, he was brought in as a caretaker coach. And I think that's all he really should have been. He was given the permanent job on the basis of putting PSG out of the Champions League. And I think they were too hasty. And given who, that who would you have given the job to at the time? Um, at the time, I think it would have been Pochettino. But in, in retrospect, it, it, it might not have been the, the, the best option. Yeah. But sometimes... Hi, hindsight's a wonderful thing. No, that's, that's the... That's, that's... Look at Pochettino at PSG. He's going to, was it Ren where they lost and they didn't have a shot on target with Messi, Mbappe and Neymar up front? Um, Pochettino isn't the greatest thing that's happened to management. Like everyone was letting on when he was linked to United for a year and a half. Ollie's done a better job at United than I think Pochettino ever would have. That being said, you know, Pochettino is still top of the league. They've won every other game, but because of the person, because of the personnel they have, 
to lose one game, then everybody's jumping on them. They're, they still beat they beat Man City in the Champions League, and um, they're they're top of the league. They've only lost one game, so definitely Pochettino shouldn't be under any pressure. But he is at the moment, but he is under pressure to deliver this season. He's got a team there that should be winning the Champions League. Uh, but anyway, we'll come back to United. Um, so Pochettino obviously isn't really an option anymore. He, he he's tied up at PSG now. The the managers that have been talked about in the media and by fans on social media. Or the likes of Antonio Conte, Zidane, who we've talked, we mentioned already, and uh, the IX manager is definitely the hipster's choice. Yeah, um, everyone seems to love Eric Ten Hag. If if Ollie was to be sacked, if say the this, our situation gets worse, and um, by December we are mid-table uh, or else we're we're knocked out of the Champions League or both, and. Um, Woodward or Richard Arnold, whoever's in charge at that time, pull the trigger. Who who would you like to see replace him? I'm gonna get so much clipped up on this forever. Um, I don't want Zidane. Zidane's just a man manager in the same way Ollie is. He's just uh, reliant on talented players and getting the most out of those talented players in the same way that Ollie is. So I don't see a point in bringing Zidane in. So I think then, do you go a tactical coach? Do you go for somebody like an Antonio Conte? I, I don't know. Do you want a high manager turnover? Do you want them for two seasons and then have to go and hopefully look again and see if um, if somebody else is available in two years' time? If, if you go for Conte, he's not going to be there in two, three, four, five years' time. You're going to then have to go and look again, which then means we could be in an even worse position. All right, we win one title, say, under Conte, and then have to sack him, like a Jose Mourinho would at Chelsea or or is the Real Madrid like he's done it before? Um, do you want to have to do that in three or four years' time, or do you want a consistent challenge and possibly get it, or do you want a guaranteed one title and then possible mid-table for three years? Um, because that's why I wouldn't want a Conte. I want somebody that's going to build a system. I want somebody that's going to develop a squad and create greatness for more than one or two seasons. I want it for a prolonged period of time. So I'd go somebody like an Eric Ten Hag or my preferred option, would be somebody like Graham Potter. I think the system and what he's done with Brighton and getting the best out of players like Neil Moypai, who's evidently not a Premier League level player, but somehow making it look like he is, defensively made Ben White look like he was God's gift to defend him, but now he's at Arsenal and forgetting how to kick a ball. He's making average players look very good. Graham Potter would be my choice any day. The problem with it is, is with an ego in the squad like Cristiano Ronaldo, and you bring in the guy from Brighton, is Ronaldo going to go, nah, I'm out. See you later. I want nothing to do with him. Okay, I'll, I'll give my opinion on all those names. Um, Antonio Conte, yeah, he, he, he tends to win the title wherever he goes, but he only lasts about two years. The, the football is quite tactical. I don't. I, I think it's unfair to say that his, his brand of football is boring because I've seen Chelsea teams, inter-teams score a lot of goals. So... Mm-hmm. It's not it's not boring, but it is technical, and he, yeah. he has a short shelf life. But he does tend to guarantee the title. Although he did say that that about Mourinho as well, and that didn't materialize. Um. So Zidane. Um. I don't think it's going to happen. His his agent has said that he is no intentions of managing in England. So I think that's off the table anyway. I think um, he was the UV, if I'm honest. I think uh, Allegri gets the boot, and Zidane goes in. I think that's written in stone at this point. Yeah, and like you say, um, I'm I'm not sold on his tactical ability. Um, I think he is a a man man manager. Um, he had a team of stars at Real Madrid, and he knew the club. He had been there for many years. Once he's taken out of his comfort zone, he I'm not sure if it's going to work or not. He doesn't speak a yeah. word of English either. So oh, yeah, true. that would be Luke another. Shaw trying to speak Spanish to him is going to be hilarious. Phil <laughs> Jones just dribbling at him. Who knows? You never know what could happen. <laughs> Um, the ex manager, yeah, that would be an interesting choice, but obviously a massive gamble to take someone from the Dutch league to the Premier League. You never know if it's going to work out or not. Frank de Boer at the Crystal Palace was an absolute disaster. Was he sacked after four games or something? Yeah, so four or five games. Van Hal obviously didn't didn't work out despite all the success that he'd had in his career. That turned out to be a pretty poor choice. So, um, I wouldn't be against it, but uh, it's definitely a massive gamble. I think. Everyone is a gamble, like I've said, including the big names like Conte and Zidane. 
Um, Graham Potter, um, it would definitely be a left field option. Um, it would be an interesting experiment, but again, it's a massive gamble. I mean, managing a small club like Brighton and then coming to manage superstars at Old Trafford is a massive jump. We've seen how David Moyes didn't cope with that very well, so it, it, it would be interesting, but he would he would have to be able to handle you know players like Ronaldo, as you say. David Moyes is a very different example of because David Moyes, again, wasn't a massively tactical coach. Graham Potter really is. Graham Potter's system-based. Um, David Moyes is not. David Moyes is very much a man manager as well. He's actually, surprisingly, he's got a good system going at West Ham tactically, um, which we never seen when he was at United. I don't, know where the, I don't know where he got that from. It's just pulled that from somewhere. I don't know where Davy Moyes went for two years and learned how to do tactics. Goes to Sociedad for six months and picks up how to do some sort of tactical familiarity. So fair play. I think Mon's in a kind of a, shall we say, a mid-table club really suit David Moyes. I think the pressure at a at a super club is maybe too much for him. He's got he had a good thing going at Everton for eleven years, and again he's kind of rekindled that at West Ham. Yeah. So fair play to him. Um, yeah, maybe Graham Potter does have the the, the potential to become the next Ben Rogers. The Rogers started off at at, at you know at championship level clubs like, like for example. And then he got the job at Liverpool. He nearly won the league, as everyone knows. And then he went to Celtic and won a lot of easy trophies when, when Rangers weren't particularly good. Easy trophies. <laughs> um, and at Leicester, he's been he's won the FA Cup. He's he should have got them into the Champions League and, and more than one occasion, but kind of fell apart at the end. Um he would be an interesting option as well, although I think he has a six-year contract, so it cost there's a lot of money to get him out of that uh, club. So what, what would you think about Rogers? Definitely not. I, I just, I don't rate him massively. I think he's he's clearly a good coach, but he's, he's no better than good. He's not great. Um, I, I think the system at Leicester favours him because they're doing the scouting and the talent work. Whilst with, when he was at Liverpool and you look at it being like, who did he actually bring in that was incredible? There's, there's a lot of Drib and a lot of a lot of drab in there. Sorry, there's a lot of nothing. A lot of Ricky Lambert talent. Prime example, like who who is he actually brought in? Like there's a difference from going and managing Jamie Vardy and and Damari Gray, who when he was at Leicester, than then going to United and getting Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, it's the same thing with Graham Potter though. Over oh, it is a massive step up. It always is going to be at United. Um. But it was for Pochettino when he went from Southampton to Spurs. You're always going to have to take that step up at some point. And I, I don't think we've seen it from Brendan Rodgers before and it didn't work. Graham Potter's an outside shout. He, Graham Potter's also managed it at Swansea. He actually didn't have Swansea as good as what Brendan Rodgers did have them. Um, but he had them on the up and up and he's got Brighton looking far better than Swansea ever did. The way I see it is United would probably not take the gamble on Potter as it stands. I think he would have to go to uh, a club like West Ham or Tottenham and do well there before United would then consider you know, taking him on. Yeah. I love that we're putting Spurs down there again. <laughs> Spurs <laughs> had their little limelight up at the top four for about two years. And then it's just like, go to some B-tech club like Spurs. Yeah, it's gone I now. I love that they're back there. Um, they're, they're falling out of the Champions League spots they've got a number 9 who doesn't want to be there uh, Nuno is going to be sacked by December um, it's, don't think they ever should have brought him in yeah he's exactly like Mourinho he's a defensive counter-attacking coach and that's exactly what they did month. that's why he was the 7th choice yeah Graham Potter turned them down <laughs> of course he did well he must have big ambitions to, to come to a big club then <laughs> yeah he must like proper clubs so I just want to say Solskjaer has definitely, definitely taken us to a better place than we were in December 2018 when he replaced Mourinho. The things were awful back then. We were almost in, like eighth or ninth in the table. Um, 13th at one point, I think. Yeah, it was really bad. We got, got a, a pasting at Anfield, which eventually finished Mourinho off. Uh, it looked like current day Arsenal. Yeah, it was... It was shambolic. Uh, Mourinho had fallen out with everybody. Nobody was playing for him anymore. It was a dreadful situation. Oli has obviously built a better squad. Um, he's yeah. got more more of a team of players who actually want to be at United. Who who um not 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 the uh, mercenaries like you know 
Alexis Sanchez, for example, people like that, or players who don't belong at United, like Fellaini, who's an Everton player. Um, yeah, we've got a squad of players now who are Man United players, in my opinion. Solskjaer has taken us up a few levels, but my doubt is, can Solskjaer take us to the promised land? Can he take us one step further and win the Premier League? Um, I just I don't believe that that's possible, but I hope he proves me wrong. I think he can. I think we're just still carrying a few passengers. I think we're nearly there. Uh, yeah, well, I hope you're right. But the way things are going this season, it doesn't doesn't look good. Um, like like we said earlier, we've got a run of ten fixtures now, which are very very hard. You know, apart from Watford, but that's the type of game where we'll, we'll mess Although, up. Yeah, I the, it, it would be very us to go and win every other one of those nine games and then lose to Watford. It would be very very much a thing we would do. But you see, if we did win all those nine games and lose to Watford, I'll take it. That's not nine or ten. That's not bad. Most people on Twitter wouldn't. <laughs> Most people on Twitter would still be all out. What I think will happen is we'll 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 beat Man City. Um, we will will we'll lose to Liverpool. We'll beat Chelsea, and then we'll go and draw with Watford. And really, I just don't think that's that's good enough. Um, I. I can see us drawn with Liverpool. I, I, I can't see us. I, I see it being a really, really boring nil-nil. I really, really do. I think we sit with a low block and they sit with a low block and then we both just sort of sit and like a really boring boxing fight. I think we just show up, throw a few jabs for 12 rounds and then ding, 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 dial goes and that's us over. I really don't see anything from that Liverpool match. I think the City one's the one that could be something spectacular, like some sort of two or three goal uh thriller advantage I think Solskjaer's got Guardiola's number and um, we have got a lot of good results against them he hasn't beaten Liverpool in the league in his time in charge he hasn't beaten Arsenal in the league in his time in charge which is quite worrying um, we need to we need to better those records Chelsea will always be a very tough opponent we've got we've had wins and losses against them we, we can't really predict what's going to happen there with regards to Atalanta though I can see us going and losing that away game in Atalanta I really can yeah it worries me more than anything, to be honest with you. I, I, I really, that Atlanta side are very solid, very, very solid. Yeah, I think what I think, and I hope I'm wrong, obviously, I think we'll, we'll lose the away game and then we'll labor to a narrow win at Old Trafford against them and just about stay in the hunt for Champions League qualification. And I do, I do think we go through in Champions League, though. I, I do think we're fine. I don't, I can't see us crashing out. Yeah, well, we don't see us winning it. I do see us going through it though. At the very least, he has to get out of this group, especially as he didn't get out of the group last season. Yes, it was a difficult group, but we had to get off to a whirlwind start and then we threw it away by losing to that Turkish team. Uh, yeah. Istanbul, Shishikashi, I think it was. And the worst goal that we ever conceded in the history of the club. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you ever seen anything like it in your life? You wouldn't see that in Sunday League football. I'm going to play five aside in an hour here and I'd seen better defender than that. <laughs> it's just poor. Like I just, I really like Axel Tuanzebe, but there's a reason he's currently out on loan because that positioning was rough for a man that kept Mbappe and Neymar in his pocket. What two games prior, and then couldn't figure out where Demba Ba was. That's what I call inconsistency at its finest. There's definitely a defender in Tuanzebe. We've seen that against some of the best forwards on the planet, but the consist mm-hmm. the consistency isn't there at the moment, and that's why. He hasn't got into the A team, like you say, and that's why he's on loan filler. But I do have that he can't come good. I always like the idea of Axel being almost like a Wes Brown or a John O'Shea type figure at the club. Yeah, yeah. Somebody who can play anywhere across that back line, anywhere in the field, and will just do a job. And then I watched that Shakespeare game and went, no, he doesn't have that. He doesn't have it in him. I see Scott McTominay as that guy. Although I did see Phil Jones as that guy at one point. Remember when he was playing centre back, right back, centre midfield, defensive midfield, and you're like, "What is Phil Jones doing? He's just getting put anywhere." And I, I seen Axel as that guy as well, but I, I don't know if he's good enough. I really, I really did like Axel, and I do feel bad saying that, but he just looked poor. I don't think it's going to happen for him now. I mean, he's been on loan at Villa already, and if you're going back on loan a second time after being back at United for three years. It's he's not going to have a so, great old Trafford. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Roy Keane that said it. If you're not in the first team plans by 23, you're wasting your time. Was it? I think it was Roy Keane said that. Yeah, he's by 24 now, isn't he? Yeah, he's in around early to mid 20s. Yeah, I don't think it's going to happen. 
Okay, we'll we'll leave it there. Uh, hopefully, when we return after the Leicester game, uh, I'm not sure who's going to be joining me, but I'm sure you'll be on uh, before their November internationals. We'll I'll have you on at least one more time, and hopefully things are looking a bit rosier by then. Let's hope. Let's hope. I uh, I'm sure we'll be talking on Twitter about it anyway, no matter what happens. No doubt. Uh, okay, so everyone, give us a wee like on the video. And uh, please subscribe to our channel if you're listening on audio. So uh, till next time, Matt. Spot on. I will see you again. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure.